The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 234. We are well into our fifth year, over half, and we hope that our podcast continues to bring messages of hope and help to those of you who need it. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, if you can check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to that and give us a good rating on our videos, that would be great because then people who need help can find us. And that's the whole purpose of the podcast is to give help and hope. So today we have an interview with a gentleman named John Lupo. And John Lupo is a modern day miracle. He's a man who has endured much trauma, tragedy, and loss. His life is seriously what Hollywood movies are made of. He was raised on the streets of New York City in the borough of the Bronx in an Italian Catholic family, and he went on to become a very successful Wall Street executive. That led him to alcohol, drugs, gambling, and womanizing. He is now clean and sober, And he speaks at prisons and at schools and to kids about overcoming obstacles and staying away from drugs. Let's talk to John Lupo and hear his story. John Lupo, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Johnny. Much appreciated. So you have quite the story. Um, A lot of the people that we interview have quite the story, but you've got a I think a particularly interesting story, but take us back to the beginning. What was your childhood like? Um, It's quite obvious that you're a New Yorker. So I'm assuming you're from New York. I'm from New York. But what was your childhood like? And and how did you eventually get into drugs and alcohol? Tell us. Well, you know, I grew up in an Italian Catholic family in the Bronx. So if anybody ever saw the movie Goodfellas or Bronx Tale, (laughs) yeah. a very popular movie. That's where I grew up. It was uh, a mafia-influenced neighborhood with uh, a lot of characters. And those are the people that I looked up to. You know, uh, my father was a drug addict. My brother was a... My father was an alcoholic. My brother was a drug addict. And my mom was a sweet Italian lady who cooked pasta on Sundays. So, but from that, there was a lot of anxiety in the household a lot of different dysfunctions going on between my brother and my father. So for my father's alcoholism and for my brother's addiction, it affected me growing up with a lot of different insecurities and so forth. So I started drinking in the schoolyard in the Bronx at 14 years old. Mm. Uh, My first drink was blackberry brandy. (laughs) And Johnny, I thought I arrived. You know, I was, I'm five foot four. I became six foot eight. You know, uh, you don't want to look at me cross-eyed. I call it the uh, Joe Pesci syndrome, where if you looked at me the wrong way, you had something coming at you. But with all that being said, you know, my brother uh, overdosing many times in and out of prison, in and out of uh, treatment facilities, and my mother and father having their difficulties with my father's alcoholism, you know, it's a generational curse that was put into my family. It's no longer there because I broke it, but it mm-hmm. comes from my grandfathers and they were alcoholics. Uh, they had their issues. 
So it stemmed, you know, into our lives. And uh, that's when it started when I was 14. But it all affected me through, through my years of uh, growing up in the household. Yeah, it's hard, I think, for a young person to grow up in an environment like that and, you know, not go down that road. You know, I mean, that's all you're presented with on a daily basis. Did you have other siblings, John? Yeah, I have, a, you know, my brother, Robert, who uh, had passed away okay. from heroin. And then my uh, brother, Kenny, who's my older brother. There were two older brothers, one 10 years older, Robert. And then my brother, Kenny, was seven years older. Okay. And, uh, you know, we were very close, you know, Italian Typical Italian family when my mom cooked pasta on Sunday for 30 years, but sweet Italian lady, but we all had something, some issues going on in the household uh, that we dealt with. But, uh, you know, God has a plan and a purpose for us. Exactly. So your one brother died of an overdose, you said? Yeah. So at 20 years old, I started on Wall Street. Uh you know, and I had many years of, of, of when I was 14 to 20, all the nonsense that comes al along with that drunk driving, fighting, blackout drunk. I was a blackout drunk. So and mm. I was able to talk to girls, you know, all those things that I was trying to fill myself up with. But like I was just saying, 20 years old, I started on Wall Street. I got a job at a brokerage firm and uh, my brother, Robert, died of a heroin overdose of doing cocaine and heroin he died of speedballing in a hotel in the bronx and i got that call and that was very traumatic to me i had to go identify my brother with my other brother at the morgue and at that time i was on you know i was drinking and i was on xanax so i i really took a lot of xanax uh and i dealt with it you know and then my life started a spiral out of control after that, you know, uh, situation where, you know, I didn't really care much about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And then I wound up myself in a treatment facility and uh, coming home and getting sober also for a few years. How, how did you end up in a treat, treatment facility? Was that your own choice or did your family suggest that you go there or put you there? Good, good question. You know, I, you know, after that transpired, my brother's overdosing, I mean, heroin speedballing and it affected me. I, uh, I just couldn't care. I was like very reckless, irresponsible in so many different ways with women, irresponsibly financially, irresponsibly uh, with alcohol and drugs. And it just spiraled out of control. Mm. And I just found myself getting into a lot of fights and a lot of things transpire where, you know, people were after me for certain things. And I was kind of two part. One was to go get sober because I really wanted to, but two is to get away from everybody. So I went on the lamb. So you say forth into a treatment facility. Uh, <laughs> so, but it, it got me in the treatment facility because I realized how much of a problem I really did have. And I, uh, I took it really serious and came home and I stayed sober for two years. And then uh, I got, I was working on wall street and I found great success on wall street. Oh, cool. You were a stockbroker. Trader. Or, in, in, oh, trader. Stock okay. Trader. 
What, so, where'd, you, where'd you work? Just curious. Can you say? Yeah, I worked at many different firms. Okay. I worked at uh, Bear Stearns, which they're no longer in business. I worked at RBC, Royal Bank of Canada. Yeah. And I had a couple of other small I, firms. Sorry, I digress. I used to work for a hedge fund and very familiar with traders. Very. Okay, so you went to treatment. Did that kind of end your Wall Street Wall Street career or did you go back there or yeah so what had happened I was working on Wall Street when I had this issue and I was scamping tickets I was just in the back office I was up and coming and then uh, the firm allowed me to go away I believe I was away for like 60 days and I came back and I was refreshed and my career started when I came back and I got all my licenses that I needed and I found my lane was entertaining and cultivating relationships where I would go out for uh, dinners and drinking and it, and it escalated. So I went right back to the drinking and the drugging as I started making a lot of money. And it seems the more dysfunction that I had on Wall Street, the more money I made and I arrived, but it was, it's the total opposite of, you know, the real world where you work hard and, and get sober and or you're trying to be the good citizen. But on Wall Street, the more party you did, the more money you made because of the relationships. And then I started making millions of dollars. Wow. I had five houses. Wow. I had a bodyguard driver. I had five engagements. I had numerous girlfriends. I had all the stuff, you know, I had all the money, you know, I was trying to fill that hole with all this stuff and all the hurts that transpired through my life. You know, I didn't, you know, when you get to that success, a lot of people don't call you out, you know, they're, they're with you. Uh, and, you know, I produced good money for a lot of people. So, you know, I would go and party for a night and then take off for two days or three days and then come back. Uh, Nobody was telling you to get clean because you were doing so well. Yeah. So the more I went out, I'll be like, okay, I went out and I was so hungover from the night before that I couldn't go to work. It was impossible. And I would take Xanax at nighttime to try to not uh, get a bad hangover, but it would take me two days to get to a point where, uh, I would be okay. And then I would come in, but the people at work, I had people working for me. So, and the more, and the more I went out, the more business I did. So who really cared about my well being? as far as, you know, people I'm sure were concerned. Uh, but you know, it was like, I went out and I produced. Right. Right. It wasn't like you were failing at your job. You were doing better. No, I wasn't failing. I was, I was, I was, you know, I had a, I had a lot of issues and, you know, if you ever see the movie Goodfellas and Bronx Tale and, and, and all that stuff, I was very uh, into going out a lot into the best restaurants. You know, I was a big shot with a big ego with a low self-esteem. And I wanted, I knew there was something wrong with me uh, because of my previous years when I went away, but I, at that time, I was like, maybe I wasn't an alcoholic, but as time escalated, 
you know, my doorman, my driver, everybody started to ask me, what am I doing with my life? Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you made me think of is, yeah, Goodfellas, but also Wolf of Wall Street. You made me think of that film, too. Yeah, so that movie, it's a good movie you brought up. Uh, because those two previous movies where I grew up, but The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, I believe I had a lot of those characteristics as uh, the movie Jordan Belfort, uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. You know, the similarities of that. You were living um, the life. You were living, living the, the life. life. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. a very... Uh, exactly like that movie in some ways and not being, you know, you, you were able to do anything, get anything. And, uh, you know, greed was the whole thing, money and all the riches of the world. Yep. Uh, like I said, I had the houses, I had the cars, I had the women, I had the, you know, everything that you would look on the outside in, but I was hurting inside. Right. Right. So, so, what got you out of that? What you had been clean and sober, and then you got right back into the life. What was your point of no return? What happened to make you finally go, this isn't it? Well, between the time I was on my first treatment facility, there was many years in between I was trying to get sober. So I was sober for about a year and a half, two years when I was 20 to 22. But, you know, as my success took place in when I was 25, 26, that's when it took off. And the next 14 years was torment. I was making millions. I had major, I had all the houses in the world. You know, I had a big business that I had. Uh, and what had happened, you know, I finally got tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, I had a lot of, I was trying to get sober. Uh, throughout those years of those 15 years, but I could never catch it again. And at 40 years old, I had a bad night out. I was at a strip club and I blew a lot of money in the strip club and I lost my wallet and my driver, you know, had to take me home and my doorman had to put me in the bed again for the 10,000th time. And I had such a hangover and I was tired of this life that I didn't realize what was wrong with me? I needed to get help. And that's when I started to go to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, go to meetings. Uh, at 40 years old, I came to my knees and I started to go to meetings in Hoboken, New Jersey, because I was living in Jersey, in Weehawken, New Jersey. And I chose to go there. And that's when I started my walk of sobriety. What does that mean, your walk of sobriety? You would walk to treat, walk to the meetings. Well, when I say my walk, that's oh, you just mean your path, my, your journey. Sorry, my okay. path, my journey. Okay, uh, understood. The beginning of my journey of what I was starting. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or. You can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 
7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So there wasn't necessarily an epiphany, if you will. It was more just you finally realized you didn't want to do that anymore and you had to get, you had to change. What was that like? What was that treatment like, the meetings and such? Well, at first, you know, because I've tried this for many years and I used to have beyond Xanax and I couldn't give up the Xanax and that wasn't really true sobriety. Right. Uh, This time I was giving up the Xanax and the alcohol. So in the beginning, the first 90 days was very difficult because I had a lot of, I was squirrely. I had a lot of anxiety, but I, I bit, you know, I tried my best to be sober and it worked, but I had a, I had to go through it. Were you still working on Wall Street while you were going through all this? I was working on Wall Street and I was attending meetings in the city. Uh, I, I belonged to a great, I was at the time I was going to a very known meeting in the city called the Mustard Seed. And it was a great meeting in the back room. And it was like where all these men and women really helped me uh, through, through my sobriety and and it was just a, it was a spiritual uh, awakening there that was great. Uh, but, you know, I started, I, I actually got on Wall Street and became starting to get, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a typical thing. I started getting successful, you know, years of being up and down, made millions, lost it, made millions, lost. Now I'm on Wall Street and we started our own firm and the trajectory is going up for me again. And I started making the money sober but I really wasn't living a sober life. Hmm. What does that and, mean? You weren't doing drugs and alcohol. What does that mean? Well, you know, I was sober, but I was still uh, playing around with the girls, uh, still trying to fill voids. Uh, you know, one addiction I had was gambling. I gambled a lot. Uh, so it replaced one thing. I had sobriety but I wasn't really living true sobriety. Uh, I met a friend of mine that when we started going to meetings, his name was Patty Burke. And this is a guy who helped me to get connected in Hoboken, New Jersey to all the meetings. And me and him became like best friends. And, you know, we were like buddies going to all the meetings. And then one Sunday he didn't call me. And I was concerned. Why wasn't he not calling me? And I called his mother and I call my bro- uh, I call my brother who was living with me at the time. You know, something's wrong. I can't get in touch with Patty. And I wind up going to his house, meeting with my sponsor, Stu, at his house. And we open the door and there's a chain link on the door. So I was concerned. We broke the door down and we wound up finding him dead on the floor 
due to what addiction did to him. Because a lot of people don't realize that he was having pneumonia a few weeks before. Addiction doesn't only kill you in the sense of taking the drug and overdosing. If you have long-term effects of addiction, that also could create pneumonia and things. And that's what happened to this young man, which is my, my age. And we wind up finding him dead. And it was traumatic because it took me back to when my brother and the mother got so, her name was Lucille. She got so close to me and we went to the funeral and it sparked me after that funeral to do a movie on addiction, to do Mm. a documentary called Modern Day Miracles and it's Freedom from Addiction on Amazon. And I wanted to, you know, there was a ball player in New York City that I grew up in the Bronx that I was a big fan of a big hero of his name was Daryl Strawberry. He had his struggles and I reached out to him to do this documentary in memory of my brother, Robert and this gentleman I just found dead. Well, found dead and he couldn't do the movie, couldn't do the documentary. And it was odd that I did reach out to him, but I wind up kept on me. I keep on meeting him at random spots so one day, uh, I went to the Super Bowl in 2010 in Miami, and I was more depressed than when I went. We were, I was at my own firm. We had a big, big company. We were making, the, the revenues were over $40 million a year. Wow. And we were seeing some big, you know, some big things transpiring, and we were in the process of potentially selling the place. And then I meet Daryl after the Super Bowl event. We all went as partners to. And I come home and I meet him at a dinner in New York City at an Italian restaurant where he led me to, uh, he says, What's your, what, what, what are you struggling with? I told him little things. I'm sober three years. And he says, I think you need God. You need Jesus. And he, he led me to Christ that night. He led me to Jesus Christ that night at the dinner. You know, I had an epiphany. That's when a miracle in Manhattan took place. And then we started becoming friends from there on. And then uh, a lot more stuff took place after that. And I'll like you to go back to you, but I have a, a more of the story. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting what you're t- saying, because before you got clean and sober, the body was clean and sober. But oftentimes what we like to say and what we found is that the drugs and alcohol are a solution to a problem and you have to find the underlying problem. And there's physical addiction, there's mental addiction, and there's spiritual difficulties with addiction. I don't mean spiritual addiction. I'm saying there's mental and spiritual problems. You have to heal all three ways, physically, mental, spiritually. There you go. And it sounds like you had done the physical healing, but hadn't quite handled the mental. And now with Daryl introducing you to Christ, you were able to handle the spiritual end of it. Does that sound like I'm getting it? That is correct. You know, Daryl led me to Jesus. And then, you know, that alone, he started discipling me and coming up to New York City. And he took me to a TV show in New York City. And I met this TV producer, a beautiful blonde girl, lady, and we started dating. And uh, I was in recovery about four years. And 
Daryl Strawberry and his wife, Tracy Strawberry, wind up marrying us. Ah, I love it. And I looked really like I found God. I had an epiphany. Everybody at work thought I was losing my marbles because I was like going crazy for God. And then we were about to sell the firm and we're married. My, father, my, my wife marries a multimillionaire. I had the house, I had everything. And then on a pure technicality, I wind up losing the business. And it was devastating. Uh, after I was about to sell the firm, and we wind up losing it on a pure technicality, and I wind up losing all the stuff, all the houses, all the cars. The cars I kept, I kept one car. But my poor wife had to go through a turbulent time with me. Uh, that I just didn't understand. I said, I got my life together. I found Christ, um, continued to go to meetings, and then I lose all the stuff. I'm like, I thought I'm supposed to gain some of this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I was going to cash out, make 10 to $15 million, and then personally, and then have a great ministry, go out and you know, preach the gospel, but God had a plan and a purpose a different way. I had to go through a lot, lose all the stuff and gain everything. But it says in the Bible, what does a rich man gain the whole world and lose his soul? That was me. But I had to go through it. And then God does restore. He's a God of second, third and fourth chances. Because mm -hmm. if he could trust you with little, he'll trust you with much. And uh, I started attending a church where these men of God at every nation church in New York city started to disciple me along with Daryl and help me through this very dark time that I could not understand why I had to go through it. Wow. Wow. Quite a story. Did your wife, did she accept it? Are you still together? <laughs> yes. My wife. Did I not still ask you that? <laughs> my wife's still with me. Okay, good. Me because good. what had happened is, as I said, God's a God of second chances. Yeah. He put me back on Wall Street and all the stuff that I had outstanding debts and situations. Because there was a, you know, losing the business was one thing, but there was a lot of complicated situations I had to walk through to, to get through this moment. It wasn't as just me losing and that's it. It would have to go through it. And then God found grace and mercy for me in some way to actually put me back on wall street and restore me financially where he actually cleaned all my debts up houses were taken care of things that the stuff he blessed me again with and put me back into a position of helping others because for a minute i was like i have no idea how i got to this point i'm like i can't do this anymore and now I'm sober, living a good life with my wife, but also just struggling financially. My wife didn't know she was going to have to go through what she had to go through, but she hung in there with me. And then God spared me and gave me a second chance. Well, good for you and good woman. <laughs> so and, what are you doing now? You're not on Wall Street. Tell us what you're doing now. Well, I'm still acquainted with Wall Street. I was just in it for the last three years. Okay. I was trading. Uh, and 
I always did stuff on Wall Street, doing deals and stuff. So I'm always involved in some capacity. Right now, I'm not with the firm on Wall Street. And I have my own company called 2911 Consultants, which is a uh, Christian company that I help businesses save money. Uh, I'm also a minister of the gospel. I have my own ministry called Lupo Ministries, L-U-P-P-O Ministries.org. And I help people that are struggling in addiction and try to bridge them to relationships, to treatment facilities, or help them in any way I can. And uh, I have two beautiful grandbabies and a great stepdaughter uh, and a pretty decent life now with my wife, who we have a great out. She helps me with my ministry. And uh, she's still uh, affiliated and works in the industry as a, as a TV producer. But uh, I can't, you know, thank God enough and, and Daryl and all the people that helped me through the years to get me to where I've come. Well, I think that's awesome. And you're giving back. And I think that's huge as you're giving back in a big way to other people struggling with addiction. And I... Uh, you have quite the story, Mr. Lupo. So if you had just one one message to give the people listening, sum it all up, give them one message of hope. I would say, it, you know, either if you, whoever it is, if you're struggling with addiction and you're not struggling with addiction, but you may be going through something. Uh, I posted something today on Instagram. My Instagram is John Lupo. L-U-P-P-O, and I just said, ask, knock, and you will receive, and you just got to, don't quit, don't give up, because there is hope when it's, it's, it looks like you're done, and you're down and out, God is there to restore you, to pick yourself up, and if you stop, if you don't stop giving up, and you fight the good fight of faith, God will redeem you, from all the issues, because if he could do it for me, he could do it for you. <laughs> I mean, I had some issues and we didn't really go into the details of some of my stuff, but it was very complicated from, from my trials and tribulations. But, and I had to go through this being sober. So it was a lot of things I had to deal with, but God is a God of second chance. And I tell that person, don't give up on the miracle. The miracle is there for the taking. You just got to stay put and realize that God has a plan and a purpose for you. There you go. I love it. John, how can people reach you or reach your organization if they would like to? Well, should I give my, e I give my email? Sure. So first I have a, uh, my ministry uh, is Lupo Ministries, L-U-P-P-O Ministries.org. Right. Uh, and my email is johnlupo2911 at gmail.com. Uh, that's my personal email. And uh, if anybody wants to get my ministry page, it could go on it, Lupo Ministries, and there's a contact there. And uh, I also, uh, you know, if anybody needs help in any which way, please e email me or contact me, and I'll be more than willing to, to get them into a facility or bridge them into sobriety somehow. Perfect.
Thank you so much, John, for sharing your story with us. I really, really appreciate it. It's a good story. Thank you so much, Johnny. I appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to listening to it myself when it's awesome. all done. Awesome. God bless. Thank you for listening to our episode today. I hope you enjoyed the interview with John Lupo. I think his story is amazing. And I hope that a lot of what he said inspired you to get help and inspired you to seek the help where you can find it. If it's God, great. If it's within yourself, so much the better. But wherever you find it, you can reach out to John once again. His email is John Lupo, L U P P O, 2911 at Gmail. You can reach out to him there. His website is lupoministries.org. You can reach out to him there. The, my point is, there are good people out there who are doing really good things to try and solve this addiction problem. And John is definitely one of those people, and he is willing to help you if you just reach out to him. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with an interview. And be safe. Get help if you need it for yourself or others. Thank you so much. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.